Glad you guys are here again. You got in just in time before the rain and the gust. I just saw somebody walk up with their umbrella and it literally like, it, I felt bad for them. But they'll be here in a second, so we'll all look at them. All right, uh, so we're so glad you guys are here. Uh, as we just said, Thursdays, were, uh, we started those two weeks ago at Easter and we're going to continue those. And so if you know somebody that weekends just don't work for them uh, or uh, somebody has a weird work schedule or whatever, or you just want to sleep in on Sundays, don't forget Thursday at 7 o'clock, we're going to continue those. The first Thursday of every month, we'll have a free meal uh, for you and your family, but those will be going on uh, throughout the summer and hopefully into the fall, Thursdays at 7. So uh, as Rusty alluded to right there, next week we're super excited. Uh, so one thing many of you guys may not know about Journey is not only is our goal to make an impact here in Shepherdsville um, and in Bullock County, uh, but we also in 2020 uh, entered into a partnership with a, a community in Guatemala called El Reparo. Now, what's cool about this partnership is we partnered with Church of the Crossroads, which is one of our sister churches uh, down the street in Mount Washington, and we partnered with them. And what we have done is we have taken on for a 10-year commitment an entire village. And so we are making a difference in an entire village in El Raparo, Guatemala. And so the way that this works is uh, we launched this partnership in the beginning of 2020. I don't know if you guys remember 2020, um, but it was the worst possible time to go into a partnership with anybody. And so we launched this program. Uh, we were able to partner and, and sponsor over 100 kids between the two churches. Uh, and then COVID shut everything down uh, and messed everything up. And so uh, we still are going down there. I've been down there about six times since the year 2020, uh, but we are relaunching that. Now, the reason this is a really cool program is for about 40 bucks a month, uh, you are able to take on a kid. So some of you guys have done this through like World Vision or Compassion or something like that. With this program for about $40 a month, you are able to meet the education, the food needs, and the medical needs of a kid that would not have access to this. You are literally changing the life of this child. And we partner with the city. One of the cool things that we did early on uh, is there was a lot of crime in this community. And the reason there was no, there was no streetlights. And so it was very dark. When it gets dark, it gets dark, all right? And so we went through in 2021 and were able to put in streetlights and strategic areas, and crime has been reduced there uh, because of that. And that's all because of your all's generosity. So next week, we are having one of my favorite people on the planet, Carolina. She is the country director. We're having her up. She's spending the weekend at my house, and then she'll be here on Sunday, and we're going to talk more about it. Uh, if you're interested in it, on the little coat uh, things outside in the lobby, you can go ahead and scan the QR code and learn more about it. Uh, if you're interested in sponsoring a kid, we'll take talk about that next week. If you're currently sponsoring a child or interested in sponsoring one next week, we have about 50 more kids that we need to take on to be able to reach this whole village. Uh, we are going to have a dinner next Sunday night at Church of the Crossroads at 6 o'clock. And so it's a free dinner. So if you're currently, uh, you're going to get to meet Carolina, talk more about the vision of everything going on in Guatemala. And so this is an amazing program. And here's the coolest part about it. Uh, we are going to start planning trips starting this fall for people to go down with us down to Guatemala. Uh, many of you guys have sponsored kids before through World Vision or Compassion, and those are great programs. The difference is every year we're going to have an opportunity to take people down there and actually meet the kid that you're making a, a difference in their life. And every year I go down there and get to spend time with Carmen, who is the, the girl that my family has taken on. She's a 16-year-old girl. Every time she sees me, she's embarrassed. Uh, but uh, she's awesome. And so uh, make sure and 
talk about this amongst your family. It's a great opportunity, not only as you participate in Journey Church to make a difference here, but to make a difference somewhere else in the world where they may not have the opportunities that we have here in the United States. All right. And so we are starting a new series this week. It's going to be called At the Table. And here's how it works. Um, All of us in this room... We are different. We're kind of the same. People are pretty much the same. But we're also different in the sense that we have different backgrounds with different um, experiences and different life stories. So if we were to sit down with all of you individually and just talk about your life, we, we would get a lot of similar stuff, but there would be a lot of different stuff, uh, stuff that you've had to experience, stuff that you've had to work through, things and challenges that you've had to work through as an individual. Um, and so here, here's what I've learned that, that almost all of us have in common. That when it comes to like the biggest moments in life, or some of us the most life-changing experiences in life, or some of the closest friendships and memories, um, some of these moments that when we we set back and, and we take a look at kind of how our life has played out, there are specific moments in our life that come to mind, and, and there's almost always one thing in common when it comes to these experiences, whether that's a friendship or relationship or kind of these big conversations that happen in life. And almost every big moment that you have in life, at some point in that time, they were formed around a table, right? Maybe not a table as cool as this one, all right? Thank you, Steve O'Keefe, for letting us borrow your table. Uh, But there are tables in all of our lives, right? And there's different types of tables. There's kitchen tables, all right? There are coffee tables. Those are tables, too. There's pub tables that may be at a bar or something like that or out in the lobby in a church. And there's even desks. And desks are tables. They're just fancy tables, right? But they're all tables. And tables are a staple in our lives, in our relationships, and in our community. In fact, as I've said, if you were to look back over the biggest moments in your life, a lot of those at some point took place around a table, For example, 19 years ago in 2004, I was sitting at a table just eight miles from here in a church gym, and I was in a room off the side of it, and at that meeting, a group of men took a chance on a 22-year-old kid, right, who thought he knew everything, but in reality knew very, very little. And those men, they agreed to hire me to be the youth minister at their church, and that started my career in ministry. I remember a few years after that, I was sitting at a table at Chili's on Hurstbourne, um, having dinner with some friends and my first date with Jamie. Sitting at Chili's, eating some baby back ribs, right, with Jamie. Now, our first official date was shortly after that at a place called Irish Rover. Now, the Irish Rover is an Irish pub on Frankfurt Avenue, and it has my favorite table in the world. If you've ever been there, you may not know about this, but they have in the second dining room, they, they bought these old bar stool or bar tables, um, and they didn't have enough room to make it a, a four top. And so what they did was they kind of shoved this f- table up against the wall. And if you go there and you ask for the date table, you have to ask for it. They put you at a table that's only big enough for two people to sit at. And there's nobody else that can see you. And you have a big window in front of you. And you can look out at their flower garden at the busyness of Frankfurt Avenue. That was our first real date at that table. Uh, And then six months after that, I remember sitting in her parents' living room around a coffee table with a ring in my pocket, as nervous as I could be, watching a game with her dad, knowing I would ask him to marry his daughter. 
And I remember we were watching this game. I don't remember what game it was, but I remember it like, kept like fiddling with it in my, in my pocket and everything. And eventually I said, you know, hey, I want to marry your daughter. Here's a ring. <laughs> to which he replied, as best as I can remember, are you sure? <laughs> and then a few years later in 2009, I was sitting around a table at church with a room full of guys from many different places across the state of Kentucky. And I was pitching to them and casting a vision of what a new church in Shepherdsville might look like. A church that not only reached the people that came, but also made a difference in the community that we lived. And those guys, they bought in and they funded Journey for the first three years of our existence. And without that table, we wouldn't be here. And then in 2011, setting around a, a couple of tables to tell my parents and Jamie's parents that after a few years of heartache and frustration and finally coming to a place of peace, that we were going to be able to have our first child, Paxton. Now, Paxton's a weird name for a child. The word is a play on Latin words, Pax, which means peace, and ton, which means town. And so when we got to our peaceful place, after years of trying and all kinds of frustration, we eventually got to a peaceful place and were able to have our daughter, Paxton, which is why we named her that. She's 11 now, and she's chaos, but <laughs> it started from a peaceful place. And I remember sitting around a table in Ottoman Hospital in 2013, deciding what we were going to do next as a family because my father was not doing well, and he wasn't going to make it. And I could go on and on and on and tell you stories of memories, heartaches, celebrations, triumphs, and failures, stories of my life, and you could tell stories of your life that all happened around a table. And isn't it true that there are certain tables in certain rooms that I could take you to, and all of the memories would just come flooding back, right? There are certain rooms that we can sit in and sit at a certain table, and we remember the conversations and the memories and all of the things that took place at those tables. Tables play a significant role in our social lives as well, right? Because the reality is that there are many people that you will sit down at tables with in your life. Now, when you think about this, it's interesting. There, there are different people in your life. There's different breakdowns. So there are people that are in your life that if they stop by or walk by your house, um, you might like wave at them or like yell like hi or something like that. Um, you might give them a shout and then you're like, all right, you can move on now. You're like, go ahead. Like we're, we, we had our exchange, right? There are people like that that maybe you don't know so well. And then there are people that uh, if they walk by or stop by, like you might invite them up on the porch or the back porch or have a conversation in the garage with them or something like that. And so you'll have those people. And then there are the people that over time you might actually invite in, you know, not long, just a few minutes, you know, invite them into your house. But then we all hopefully have people in our life that when they come over, they come in the house, they don't even ask, they come in. And they sit at the table, don't they? And you sit at the table because this is going to take a while. And so you break out the coffee or the bourbon or the wine or whatever you prefer. And you sit there because we're going to sit for a little while because life is going to happen at this table. And let me be clear, you should be so grateful that you have those people in your life because not everybody does. And if you do have those people in their life, you need to show appreciation to them. But you also have to do this with a little bit of a warning. See, the reality is, is that 
we do have people in our life like that, hopefully, but one of the dangers can often be when we close ourselves off to everybody else. We can miss opportunities for new connections that we need and new people that we need to invite around our tables. But maybe more importantly than new opportunities that we need, we may cut ourselves off from invitations that they need. And so if I'm being honest, I think we all need more people in our lives that can sit at the table, people that we invite in. And we need to create more opportunities in our lives for that. And as a church, we need to be the type of place where everyone's welcome to come sit at our table. So why are our tables so important in our lives? Well, we've already talked about some of that. And over the next few weeks, by the way, everything I say today is introduction. So this is just introducing what we're going to talk about for about three or four weeks. So uh, here's the thing. Um, we're going to take a look at some different tables that you may set at at different points in your life. And we're going to talk about different people that you may have the opportunity to set at tables with. And what's interesting is when we talk about tables, the reason this idea stuck with me so much was is I look at the Bible and I look at the lives of the people that started the church and the interactions they had with Jesus, but even in the Old Testament, um, what's interesting is that tables become this central theme throughout the scriptures. The table in some ways um, can become an icon for God's goodness in our lives and the way he's working in our lives. Right? In fact, you can look this up if you don't believe me. There was once a belief that to, take, to set at a table was to occupy a sacred space. And the reality is that if you think about it, it's true, right? I mean, the people we love most, we've set at tables with. We've shared meals with people. Stories of our lives have been told at tables. Wrongs that we had done and wrongs that we have done to others have been discussed at tables. I've sat at tables before, and hopefully you have, where we sit there and a reconciliation and healing takes place at that table. They can be places where we laugh together and cry together. Tables are often places when together we remember where we've been and we dream of where we might be able to go. And I can tell you that I've sat at many tables over my life where I've prayed with people and heard stories and her diagnosis, and heard situations that nobody would want to walk through, and they share these stories, and we experience this together as we sit at a table. Oftentimes at tables, we can experience as we're engaging with people in the life that we've been given to live and that they've been given to live, we can experience God's nearness and God's kindness and God's love. The other thing about tables that's kind of weird when you think about it is setting at tables and sharing tables is a uniquely human experience. No other creature on the earth sets at tables except for us. And sharing tables with other people reminds us of so many things. One thing it can remind us of when we're sitting at a table sharing a meal with somebody is that a meal is more than just fuel, isn't it? Sometimes it's an invitation. It's an opportunity. Tables are one of the most important places of human connection, which is why we shouldn't be surprised to find that throughout the Bible, God has a way of showing up at tables. And in fact, one of the interesting things is when you think about the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, um, tables are a centerpiece. For example, in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, it all centers around this one moment, the Passover, the Passover meal. And this is an integral part of the Jewish faith, is this remembrance of this Passover moment. And you know where that took place at? At a table. 
And then we go into the New Testament or the New Covenant, and there we see this moment we're going to talk about later where Jesus sets down with these men, and he takes this bread, and he takes this juice, and he establishes a new covenant, and it centers around a mill, a Eucharist, or what we would call communion. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright captured something of this sentiment when he said this, When Jesus himself wanted to explain his disciples what was forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. And maybe one of the most important spiritual disciplines for us to recover in a world in which our lives seem so chaotic, so fast-paced, so tech-saturated, so attention-deficit, is to maybe take some time and to sit down at a table I mean, I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but let's just ask the question. When's the last time you sat down at a table and you had a meal with your family? And not fast food. We got enough of those in Shepherdsville, all right? But an actual meal. Table fellowship doesn't often make the list of classical spiritual disciplines. But in a world that is increasingly seems to have lost its way with regards to matters of both food and the soul... Maybe tables should play a more important part of our lives. And we need to recover a spiritual significance of what we eat, where we eat, and whom we eat with. In Matthew's account, we've already referenced it to the Last Supper. The writer tells us that while they're sitting there at this table and they're eating, Jesus takes the bread and he gives thanks for it. And it's like this moment when we give thanks when we sit at a table. It's remembering everything that we have to be grateful for. And the reality is we in this room have so much to be grateful for. And then he breaks the bread and he gives it to his disciples. Eugene Peterson in his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, he talks about this idea that, that in this pattern we see that Jesus establishes, we have a moment of blessing where we realize how much we've been given. And then we have a moment of brokenness in which he breaks the bread. And then we have a moment of giving. And he says, this is the shape of the Eucharist. This is the shape of the gospel. This is the shape of the Christian life that we realized how blessed we are and how broken we are. And then we give of ourselves. We'll we'll talk more about that later. And so when you take a look at the Bible and you zero in on the gospel specifically, you see that Jesus spends a lot of time at tables. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, it tells the story about Jesus and his encounter with this guy named Levi. Now, Levi will be someone we later refer to as Matthew, as in the gospel writer Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples. But one day, Levi's at his tax collector booth, and Jesus walks up to him. And, and you got to understand, and we've talked about this before, but I have to keep remembering, tax collectors are the outcasts of their community. They're the worst of the worst. It was offensive to sinners to call a tax collector a sinner. That's why they called them sinners and tax collectors, all right? And, and so he has this moment where he walks up to this table of this man and they have this encounter and the next thing we see is that Jesus is at his house having this meal in Luke chapter 7 verse 36 through 50 Jesus has dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house and the sinful woman approaches the table and she starts to wash Jesus' feet with her hair And everybody there at this table is offended, except for Jesus. And there's this great exchange between Jesus and this woman right in front of the Pharisees. 
And so this becomes an occasion for Jesus to talk about forgiveness and, and all of these things. And he, at this table, he, he starts talking about what this looks like and what reconciliation with God actually looks like. So we see Jesus often eating with tax collectors and, and sinners. We see this kind of pattern. But we also see him dining with Pharisees. In Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 52, we see this story where Jesus is invited into this Pharisee's house and they kind of get this exchange going on and eventually Jesus uses his platform to challenge these religious people. He says, you make it all about the outside. Like you want to look good in front of everybody. But what's going on inside of you? Later we see him dining with the Pharisees again and, and he starts to talk about what this idea of kingdom will look like this new thing that he's establishing. And he challenges their self-righteousness. And at this table, he teaches about what the feast of the kingdom of God will look like. And it will not be the powerful, but it will be the poor and the crippled and the lame and the outcast. Jesus, at these tables that he sets at, he changes the way people see the world and see themselves in it. While he said at these tables, he not only shared a meal, but fed their innermost needs. For the tax collectors and sinners who needed to hear that they do actually matter, that they can be forgiven, and that they do, in fact, regardless of what culture has told them, they do have a place at the table. And with the Pharisees, these religious, self-righteous people, he explained to them the wake-up that they needed to have. That God cares not just about his rules and regulation, but about your heart. And what you're doing with what you've been given. So Jesus, he spends all this time at, at tables. And it eventually gets to this point. He's sharing so many meals with so many people around tables. That he shares tables with outcasts. He shares tables with self-righteous elite. He cared for people and shared tables with people who broken every rule. And who were seen as unclean. He crossed racial and cultural boundaries. Jesus wanted to make it clear that everybody, if they were willing, deserved a seat at the table. He invited them to the table. And while he did, whispers began to form around them. Because he was willing to share a table with these people, these rumors start to come up. And they say, look at him. He's the friend of sinners. A position that he gladly wore. They thought it was an insult. He did not. I will make one point that while he gladly sat at the table of the people who were considered had the reputation of sinners and was a friend of them, it is worth noting he did not become one. No, he shared with them and loved those people. He showed them the truth of what was going on, not only in their hearts, but also in the world. And then we get to the most famous of all the tables that Jesus sets at. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's one of the few stories that's actually recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in this story, he shares one last meal. And we've already referenced it. And in this meal, he, he takes this bread and this wine, and he, he has this kind of moment with them, and he, he explains to them kind of what's about to happen and all of these things. And, and he takes this, and, and what's fascinating about that meal that he started that night is he breaks the bread and he takes the juice. Um, it didn't end. And how we know it didn't end is because here in a few minutes, all of us are going to take a little, little packet with a terrible tasting cracker and a little bit of juice, and we're going to participate in a meal that started that night at that table, but still goes on today. So Eucharist or communion is this feast 
at a table. John gives us a little bit more insight as to what happened the rest of that evening. And, and so while they're sitting at the table, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus, um, in this moment, he, he takes this moment of opportunity to teach these guys this really important lesson. And he says, when you have people set at your table, um, don't be too proud, don't be too big. And, and so what Jesus does is he, he takes this moment where he takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. And he takes a basin of water. And he approaches these guys. And the Bible tells us that he starts to wash their feet. And maybe you've heard this before, and if not, it's a reminder, but for somebody maybe, um, washing someone's feet in their culture. First of all, feet are disgusting. Can we just all agree with that? All right, they're just, they're gross, all right? But in their culture, it was especially bad because you wore sandals. They didn't have shoes, you know, like that we do. And so they'd walk around on these dusty streets, and, and it was hot, and so their feet would sweat, and the, the dust would get caked on. And you got to remember, there's animals everywhere, and you know what animals do on the street, and so there's some stuff on there. I mean, it's just a really dirty scene. And so... When you walk into someone's house, oftentimes they'd have a servant sometimes that would actually wash your feet. Now, it wasn't just any servant. This is usually the lowest servant because this is one of the grossest and lowest positions that you can do. And so Jesus, he takes this moment and he does what the lowest of the low were told to do. And he washes their feet. And there's this kind of moment between Jesus and Peter where Jesus, Peter's like, Jesus, you're Jesus. Like, you can't be washing my feet. And Jesus is like, oh, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you're going to kind of miss the whole thing. And, and so Jesus is like, well, then, Jesus, if that's the case, then just wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, calm down a little bit there, Pete, all right? You know, um, he doesn't say that, but you know he wants to, right? And he finishes up and, and he says this in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? And I think about this moment, and I think that they didn't understand. And the reality is, I don't think sometimes that we understand. It's this moment where Jesus, who, who we'll later see, has been given all authority on heaven and earth. And he takes this moment to empty himself of himself. And he takes this moment and he serves these guys at a table that he's invited them to. And see, sometimes I think this reminder of the story is not only what he did, but it's in the mindset of it, that he emptied of himself, of himself, at a table who anyone was welcome to sit at. He goes into this great discourse and he says, so, so you call me Lord and Master and rightly so. And so he says, so I've done this for you. So, so he says, are you greater than the Master? To which they say no. And he goes, well, then you go and do this for others. And the reason I say I don't think we understand fully what he was doing at that table that night is because we still have a hard time with that, don't we? See, so you see a lot of us, and I'm not picking fights because we've become consumers, Spiritual consumers. Sometimes our response to all of this is, what can I get out of it? And Jesus says, no, your response should be, what can I give? And so from this point on at this table, Jesus washes their feet and he has this kind of explanation. In John 13, 14, 15, and 16, he explains everything that's about to happen. He tells them about all of these things that are going to unfold, and he starts to plant seeds of this church that he's going to build. And then he charges them with the task of continuing this work. 
this kingdom of God, this movement. And so in essence, you, you can say that what the church is and what it was supposed to be and what it can often be sometimes when we choose was born around a table. And then in chapter 15, there's this. Jesus looks at him and he says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Jesus calls those who are willing to follow him friends. And do you know what friends do? They gather around tables and they share meals and they share lives. You know what friends do? You know what people do that understand this? They invite strangers into their homes and around their tables and they share meals together. Because you share enough meals with somebody, they're no longer a stranger, are they? What a simple concept. Yeah, we're pretty sure this idea of hospitality and invitation and meals and tables turned the world upside down about 2,000 years ago. And the belief of some is that maybe it can do it again. Because the reality is we all want to be known. We all want friends. We all want love. And we all want to be invited to sit at a table. And so we want to be a place where we can all gather together at the table. Because we think, as Jesus thought, everybody deserves a seat at the table. Let's pray.